Well, I want us really just to think about uh, Proverbs 16 and verse 9. Anyone, don't, don't look it up. Does anyone know what Proverbs 16 verse 9 says? Oh, yeah, I hear it. Who said it? Yeah, go ahead, Michelle. Yeah, mind of a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. The mind of a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. That is, right, when we think about the decisions of life, we plan our ways according to our best intentions, and yet God is with us right there all the way, directing us, guiding us along where we should walk. And I tell you, that verse, if you capture it, is so freeing. Um, because we don't have to verify all of our choices for exactly what God wants. Well, does God want this, or does, does God want this, or do, does he want this? Does he want this? And then we just kind of run just, just paranoid. But no, we, we says, plan your way, and then be open to God directing your steps, right? Plan your way according to the wisdom of God, according to counselors. But when you have all that you have, you direct, you walk forward in confidence. That's the way you should go, right? We don't need to find this bullseye of God's will someplace in our lives. Like if we missed it, we're out of the will of God. Like, like we went to the wrong college or we accepted the wrong job or we lived in the wrong place or we married the wrong person. No, if you've planned your way and you've directed your steps, God will, God will direct your steps. Now, it's not to say we can't make bad decisions. We can. But if we seek the Lord with all of our hearts, trust Him for guidance, right? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And what will God do? He will make straight your paths. It's the promise that we can trust today. And this morning, as we turn to the Scripture, we'll see the Lord really directing the paths of this missionary trio in their mission to reach the world for Christ. So if you haven't done so already, you can open your Bibles to um, Acts chapter 16. We began this chapter last week, and this week we're going to continue on, verses 6 through uh, 10. It's the account of the early days of Paul's second missionary journey. And of course, we need our map here. We started in Antioch. Paul and, and uh, Silas started in, in Antioch. And uh, they went out and they headed north up through Cilicia. And they went to these four cities that they had visited on their first missionary journey. They went to Antioch and Iconium and Lystra and Derbe. They went there to visit the brothers where Paul had made disciples on their first missionary journey. And their intention in traveling these cities was to see how they're doing. That is following up on the disciples. Because when Paul and Barnabas had gone through these regions, they made many disciples. And they're returning just to see whether indeed they are continuing on. And I'm sure in their return trip, as Paul went there, he was encouraged and he was discouraged. Uh, he was certainly discouraged by those who had not continued in the faith, right? Because, as Jesus taught us in the parable of the, the sower and the seed, there, there were some certainly where the, the seed fell upon the rocky soil and they had no root. And, and maybe they sprang up and, and looked good and promising, but without any root, when the tribulation came, they fell away. And even Paul warned them. He said, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God, Acts 14, verse 22. And yet, when these very tribulations came up, they fell away, and it was discouraging, certainly, to Paul. And so were those who, who fell away when the unbelieving Jews came and bullied them. These are like those sown among the thorns that choked out the plants when the cares for this world, right, their reputation, perhaps, or their standing in society was more than following for Christ. They fell away. 
But yet, I think Paul, as much as he was discouraged by these, was certainly encouraged by those who remained faithful to the Lord. They faced the tribulations that Paul had warned them about. And they continued on, trusting in their Savior, bearing fruit, some 30, some 60, and some 100-fold. And the names of those who continued on their way are mostly lost to us, save one, save Timothy. If you remember last week, Paul and Silas encountered this young man at Lystra, and the brothers at Lystra and Iconium uh, said that he had a good reputation. That is, um, he probably stood true during the persecution that he faced, the tribulations that he faced. And he, he continued on following after Christ. And, and Paul wanted to take him on their trip. And so after he circumcised him to prevent unnecessary offense to the Jews, he joined them on their way. And so there were these three teams, these, these three missionaries, Paul and Silas and Timothy, they picked up right there, and then they, they're kind of going up to, to Phrygia is where they are, Phrygia and Galatia. And we read about that in uh, Acts chapter 16, 6 through 10. And really, we're going to see in our passage today the sovereign spirit guiding these uh, missionaries on their journey. In fact, that's the title of my message this morning is The Sovereign Spirit. As I read this text for you, I want you to listen. Listen for how the spirit is guiding these missionaries. Acts 16, verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they'd come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, encouraging, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. In these verses, we see the sovereign spirit of God opening and closing doors for ministry. First, we see the sovereign spirit closing doors. Verses 6 and 7. Verse 6 tells us that Paul and Silas and Timothy, um, about them, is verse 6. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. It's because they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. In, in other words, right, just, just think about this. This missionary team was trying to go into Asia to speak the word of God, but they were prevented from doing so. And if, if you look at a map, it looks like this. Right? They're passing through Phrygia and, and Galatia and Mysia, and, and they tried to go down into Asia, but they couldn't. They were stopped. Um, now, when we think of uh, Asia, we think about China and Japan and Mongolia today. But Asia is really, what, what country is that that Asia is there in? Turkey, Turkey like modern-day Turkey is right where they were. And um, the south, particularly where they're going, right? Phrygia and Galatia, south where Asia was. And uh, I just think about the Apostle Paul. And why is he wanting to go into Asia? Well, maybe, I think he's probably trying to go to Ephesus. If there's anything, Simon Kistemacher describes this in his commentary. He says this, Paul's missionary strategy is to preach the gospel in important cities, preferably in commercial and administrative centers from which the word of God can radiate in all directions. And that would have been Ephesus. And so I'm sure as they kind of looked at their map, they kind of charted out where they were going to go. Ephesus would have been a, a great place to go, right? They, they preached the gospel there and, and perhaps the Lord saved some and it, it spreads. But the Holy Spirit did not permit them to go into that region. As I said, the, the Holy Spirit, here it is, uh, let's come back, here it is, is closing the door. Now, at, at first blush, I mean, this is, this is pretty surprising. 
Here's Paul and Silas and Timothy doing a good thing, right? Bringing the gospel to Asia where the gospel had never been preached before. This is like new ground in new territory. What could be more noble of a task? And the Holy Spirit said, nope. Now, how that took place is difficult. Um, Commentators put out different scenarios. Maybe an illness is a possible scenario. Maybe strong Jewish opposition and which other cities the gospel would preach kind of intercepted them and said, no, you can't come here into our region. Or maybe some legal ban on Jewish travelers traveling. Or, or, or maybe just, all of them just felt like felt something that was weird and just not, not quite right, just gave them conviction that, no, we shouldn't go into Asia. Uh, maybe Silas, who was a prophet, had a prophetic word and preached a message to them and said, that, no, we're, we're not going to go there. My hunch, though, is that it was much more explicit than this. I would not be surprised to find out in eternity that actually the Holy Spirit spoke audibly to these three men. And, and, and that's then saying, don't go. You cannot go to Asia. And, and, I, and I say that's not so far-fetched. I mean, in our minds, it might be far-fetched to have this, the Holy Spirit come and speak audibly to us because I've never experienced that before. But... Think about how the Lord launched the missionary movement in the first place. Acts chapter 13. You just turn back there. There are these ministers, these these people, these leaders in the church in Antioch. And verse 2, they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. And the Holy Spirit said, I can take that. That means nothing else, I think, than God spoke. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul the work that I have called them to. And maybe the Spirit spoke to these men and said, do not go to Asia. Do not speak the word in Asia. I have other plans for you, right? Do not pass go. Do not collect $100. You cannot go here. Now, there's no re- really of knowing how the Holy Spirit forbade them to go into Asia. But it was obvious that it was the Holy Spirit who hindered their progress. So they didn't go south into Asia. And the same story repeats itself in verse 7. And, and when they come up to Messiah, Messiah, they attempted to go into Bithynia, this north. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Having prevented them from going south, now they, they, they want to try to go north. But the Spirit of Jesus says, no, you cannot go. Now there's some same speculation here. How is it the Spirit of Jesus prevented them from going north? We don't know. Was it inner sense they had it wrong or an illness or political opposition or religious opposition to the Jews or prophetic wisdom of Silas? I mean, all those things. Are good. But my hunch is that the Spirit of Jesus spoke audibly to them. I would not be surprised if the Lord Jesus appeared to them and spoke with them. And again, this is not far-fetched. Because remember when Paul, known as Saul back then, was on the road to Damascus? Bright light shines from heaven, right? Strikes him down. And what did Paul hear? He heard a voice. The voice of Jesus. And what did Jesus say? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Audible voice. Hearing that. And perhaps the Spirit of Jesus spoke to these men on the road saying, Paul, Silas, Timothy, do not travel this road to Bithynia. I will not allow you to preach the gospel to Bithynia. Now again, there's no way really of knowing how it is the Spirit of Jesus prevented them. But it was obvious that it was Jesus who was speaking at that moment. And it was Jesus who hindered their progress. And so, traveling, right, from from the east, they're traveling. And they tried to go south, and they couldn't go. And they tried to go north, and they couldn't go. Where do you think they went? They probably went west, right? That's a great, that's a great choice. Here it is. 
I am uh, reminded of manifest destiny of America, right? It's, it's a nation we settled on the East Coast with a wild frontier on the West, wide open and available for exploration. Horace Greeley wrote, this is tradition says, he says this, Washington is not a place to live in. The rents are high, the food is bad, the dust is disgusting, and the morals are deplorable. Go west, young man. Go west and grow up with the country. And west they went, and we read in verse 8 that west they went, and passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. They went down, meaning down in elevation to Troas, because you remember Antioch was sort of up in the mountains. They went down to Troas. Troas is, is by the the sea situated 10 miles south of ancient Troy is the, really the, the western part of Mysia. A, a Roman colony served as the European gateway to Asia Minor and the departure point even from Macedonia. In, in later years, Paul would come here often to Troas, but here was for the first time that he was there. And their coming to Troas is a greater manifest destiny than America populating the west. I mean, it was not their destiny. This was the hand of God. The hand of God stopping them from going south, stopping them from going north, and then going west. Now, while they were in Troas, they were waiting. They did not know what to do. They did not know where to go next. They were confused. They're just sitting, waiting. And this, by the way, is exactly where God wanted them to be. Just sitting there. Just waiting. See, that's the way that God guides us. Oftentimes, he guides us when he closes the door. And here we see in Acts 16, the Holy Spirit closing the door. And no doubt, this is the way the Holy Spirit works in our lives as well, right? We seek guidance for our lives, and he closes doors in our lives as well. Um, He closes the doors on potential spouses. He closes the doors on potential job changes, on advancements. Maybe geographic moves. Maybe moving to a different house. God closes doors on on couples wanting children. He closes doors on business opportunities. He closes doors on opportunities for the gospel. I mean, you think about that. Wouldn't, Wouldn't God want the gospel to be heard? Well, not now. And you might pray and pray and pray for an open door to share the gospel like I do every week as I go and play pool with these guys Every, every Monday before I go, I'm praying, pleading that God would give opportunities for the gospel. And God sometimes shuts doors, doesn't give opportunities. We don't know why. And it can be especially hard sometimes for those who are, are waiting, longing for a spouse or longing for a job or, or longing for some change of location or longing for children or longing for, for direction or, or some midlife crisis, thinking like, oh, I'm 50 years old, but I've been doing this, but I don't want to do that for the next 20 years. What am I going to do? It can be hard. Longing for directions. These missionaries were in Troas, longing to know where God would have them next. And, and Paul knew this feeling. Uh, later in life, he'd find himself in a Roman prison cell, longing for an open door. He wrote to those in Colossae, Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word. To declare the mystery of Christ on account which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. And here is Paul, in prison, waiting, couldn't do anything, longing for this open door for the gospel, praying for this open door, 
asking others to pray for him that God would give them an open door. <clears throat> and no doubt Paul and Silas and Timothy are doing the same thing here in trust, waiting, waiting for the sovereign guidance of the Lord as to where to go next. And if this is where you are this morning, just trust the sovereign spirits guiding your life. Now, you may not have clear displays of the, the spirit in your life like these missionaries did. And I've never heard audible voices in my life. I think lots of people who say, God told me this and God told me that. They did not hear audible voices. They just professed that that's what God told them because they just want to want to speak that way. And in fact, I even heard a pastor uh, this past week as I, I just had a, a, a very edifying pastor conversation um, he just he just talked about moving here to the Rockford area the last, uh, what, about a year and a half ago. And he talked about how when COVID fit, I, I felt God calling me. And I just, I just felt that tug. He said, you cannot deny the Holy Spirit. He's not saying God talked to him, but there's just an inner moving, an inner conviction is what, what he's talking about. So it's God, if maybe you find yourself in Troas today, it's the sovereign spirit sort of guiding your life. Shutting a door, making your way. Don't doubt his presence. Don't doubt his... If, if, by the way, if you're a believer, if indeed you're seeking God's guidance in, in your life, the, the promise of the presence of the Spirit come to those who believe in Jesus, right? If you're a believer, God's Spirit dwells in you. But if you're walking according to the flesh, if you're not a believer, God's Spirit isn't in you and the Sovereign Spirit is not working in you. That's what Paul says in Romans 8, 9. You, however, not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact... The Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of God does not belong to Him. And Paul would later connect the presence of the Spirit with wisdom then how to, how to live our lives. Ephesians 5.15, he says, look carefully how you ought to walk. Not as unwise men, but as wise. So you just, in other words, right, you're, you're in this place of decision and you're, you're trying to figure out what to do. He says, don't walk like unwise people, walk as wise people. He says, making the best of your time because the days are evil. He says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. You want to know what to do? You want to know how to be guided? Well, be filled with the Spirit and the Spirit will guide you. That's what Paul was saying in Ephesians 5. Because when you're seeking a God-honoring life, especially in the choice about how you're going to use your time, how you are using your time, it's the presence of the Spirit of God that makes all the difference in your life. To be guided by the Spirit, you need to be filled with the Spirit. Now, I wish that God would do so like these missionaries. I wish that in my life. He'd say, Steve, you need to do this. Or Steve, you need to do this. Or Steve, you can't do this. Or Steve, And that would even be comforting in some regards as well. That I knew full well, here's a door. I want to go through that door. It's closed. But God is saying, no, I'm closing the door. But that's not the normal way that, that God works today. The normal way is to be filled with the Spirit, have our lives focused on the Lord, trusting the Lord with all of our heart, and He'll make straight your paths. Ephesians 5 continues on, right? Don't be drunk with wine, that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And how, what does it mean? Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in reverence for Christ. So just a, a worship of God and a speaking of God's word and this mutual submission to others and just kind of, you know, understanding how to live in a community. And, and there it is. It's how to be guided by the Spirit. And I know at times shut doors are difficult. 
But God doesn't shut a door to leave us in a closet, does he? Like, it may feel like we're in a closet. Like, oh, there's a door. I got to open that door. Like, that's the only door in this place. Nope, nope, nope. Wall, 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 wall. Door, door, door. That's the door I have to open. But God doesn't put us in a closet. He shuts the door because there's another door at the end of the hallway he wants us to walk through. So maybe for those of you who are older, you remember the, the 90s chorus? God will make a way when there seems to be no way. How many of you guys remember that? How many of you do? So Luke goes, you know, God will make a way when there seems to be no way. The, the, the 90s jazz here, right? Anyone know who wrote this song? Way like this, right? <laughs> he will be my guide. Draw me closely to his side. With love and strength for each new day, he will make a way. Where's that maybe sort of cheesy? There you go. We got lighters. We got our phone. Andy's got that going on. <laughs> exactly. We got it. That might be schmaltzy, but it's true, right? God's got a plan for it. He's sovereign over our lives. And he will make a way for us. Well, that's what we read in verses 9 through 10. We, we read the open door. The sovereign spirit opening the door. Verse 9, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And here we see this missionary team called to Macedonia. Now, if you're looking it up on the map, we see right here that they're in Troas, and they've got to they cross uh, across that, that body of water. They're going to stop briefly at that small island of Samothrace, and then they're going to continue on to Neapolis. And then they're going to land in Philippi, where they're going to go and to a place of prayer and, a, and a, a woman named Lydia, right? A woman named Lydia is going to open her heart. I told Lydia, right, when I preach this, if there's children's church, she cannot go to children's church, right? She's got to be in the service when we preach about Lydia. But for this morning, we want to look at the sovereign spirit opening the door. In verses 9 and 10, the spirit does this through a vision in the night. And, and this vision... Is really opening the door. And, and, and it's just as mysterious as to know how this vision actually came to be as the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of Jesus closing the door of going to Asia and Bithynia. In verse 9, we see it's a vision, but it's at night, so maybe we call it a, a dream, perhaps. But we see Paul then immediately making plans after that, a vision turning the night, urging them. And verse 10, when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on, and so like maybe he was still awake when he saw this vision. Maybe he was asleep. Maybe he got up. We, all these are, are questions. But in this vision, there was a man standing in Macedonia. And Paul was probably in, in Troas. And so across the sea, Paul saw in, in dreams. You can like do this, right? You can go way, way across there. Um, saying with some urgency. He was urging us. Come over to Macedonia. You just picture what he's saying. He didn't just say, oh, just come to Macedonia. He was urging him. Just urging him. Say, come, come.
come. Virginia, you got to come. Come, we need you. Come. Why are you sitting there? Come. Let us go. We need you. We got all these people. They need to hear the gospel. Please come. Like, or, like something, a dream like that he had or some vision like that he had. And Paul, that very night, concluded that God was calling them to go to Macedonia. In verse 10, we see this. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia Concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. There was the sovereign spirit opening the door. And here's a bit of, of wise counsel for you, okay? In general, don't trust your dreams. <laughs> All right? Uh, in fact, uh, just last night, I had this dream where I was uh, flying my drone for some reason in Rockford. And I, I, can't, I can't remember where it was. Right when I woke up, I kind of remember where it was, but... Uh, I was there, and uh, in order to do this, though, I had to stop by my neighbor's home in DeKalb, where, where I grew up. Um, but we had two homes. We, we lived in one, and then we moved to another. But this was the, kind of the older one when I was really small. And somehow I was, like, instantly in DeKalb, and I went up to this neighbor's house. And I've not seen these neighbors for, like, 35-plus years. I mean, strange, bizarre. But somehow I went to the door, and I, I got something from the door, and um, instantly I'm back here in Rockford, and I'm flying my drone over the elementary school where I went to, to school, like as, a, as an eight-year-old. And, and I was doing this for the police. Maybe Armin, maybe Armin, I don't know. I'm doing this for the police, all right? So this is the dream I had last night, it, right? That's what dreams are. They're all confangled. Okay, so think about this. If, if I would go to the police and say, you know what, sergeant, but who's your sergeant? Who's your boss's name? Uh, Who knows? Who? Burke. Burke. Burke, I had this dream last night. You don't know me, but I had this dream last night. And um, I'm here to help you. I got a drone, and I can help you with your drone. (laughs) Any police officer, Burke, would look at me like I am crazy. And there are times when Christians receive some sort of dream. They say it's the Holy Spirit, but you know what? They're crazy. (laughs) Following some dream, right? But here's what it is. If you've got a dream... Whether it's whatever, and you say that's what God told me. Who can argue with you? And that's exactly the point. People with a, a dream, or if God told them something, there's no arguing with them. You're kind of like, well, God told me I got to do this, right? I got to go to China. I got to be this missionary. And well, that absolutely, those are good things, right? Go to missionary, go to China, or whatever. That those are good things. But more often, it's I had this dream that God told me I need to build this expensive house. Or God told me I need to buy that expensive car. Oftentimes, it's like preachers who say, I've got this dream, right? You should give us all money so we can build this big church, right? You see, it's kind of self-serving because it is a dream. Or what's often, I had a dream, uh, let's go marry this girl, right? You just pull that dream card, that God told me card, and uh, that's not, it's not trusting the Lord with all your heart. It's trusting in yourself with all your heart. I just say, in seeking the Lord's guidance, seek the counsel of others. Some of the best wisdom is found in Proverbs fifteen twenty two. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. And so you have a dream. Yeah, it's wonderful, right? Maybe you're thinking about stuff, and maybe things come clear in a dream. Maybe it's helpful. But I would say cast that before your advisors. Cast that before your friends. Cast that before your counselors, because with many counselors... Plan succeed. In fact, maybe there's a subtle little point here. Look, look at verse 10. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately 
we sought to go on in the Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel. Do you notice the change in pronoun there? We've, we've changed from a, a they third person to a we first person. Uh, from an us, from a them to an us. And Luke, the author of Acts, begins for the first time in the book of Acts to step in the work as an eyewitness of the events that take place. And, and this is the first of several we sections that are in the book of Acts. And we're going to see, right, there's going to be some we sections and there's going to be some they sections, right? When, when Luke is here and Barnabas or, or Paul is off over there, and then when they meet together, it's going to be a we again. And they're going to go apart and they're going to come together. And so you just kind of see that Luke was there, but it's a subtle thought. And, and, and perhaps right here is, is the case that Paul didn't say, I had a vision tonight, man, we're going to Macedonia. Rather, Paul said, I had this vision. And just thinking, right, we've been praying about it. And they, they talked about this vision and who Macedonia is or what it is and whether that be good or not. And they prayed about it further. And having prayed about it, having talked about it, they then concluded that God had called us to preach the gospel to Macedonia. That we were in it together. This wasn't Paul just, just saying this is what we're doing. It seemed to be a, a collective affirmation of that. Now this surely is not the ordinary way that God works in our lives. But who are we to limit God, really? God can do this again in our day. In fact, God is doing this in our day. Who knows what nation this is? Iran. Iran, right there. Uh, I've heard many testimonies of God using dreams today in Iran. Um, One website put it this way. It said this, we know Iran is one of the most closed and secretive nations in the Middle East and perhaps the world. Strict in its Islamic culture and history, Iran is known for an extremely low tolerance of Christians and no tolerance for Muslims leaving their faith to become believers in Jesus Christ. But as you might expect, our loving God sees it differently. He sees a people in need of the saving grace of Jesus Christ because he has no boundaries. He's doing something about it in a mighty way. Read this slowly to absorb it. Iran has the highest percentage of population growth rate of Christianity in the entire world. Iran has the highest percentage of population growth rate of Christianity in the entire world. Now, if there's so few believers, that's that's really what helps that. In other words, right, there's so few, but they're growing faster than any place in the world. In fact, more Iranians have come to Christ in the last 17 years. This is like the 2018 website I found, so maybe the last 20 years, than in the previous 1,400 years combined. Just the stirring of the Spirit of God. Although we know that with God all things are possible, it's almost unfathomable to comprehend. So how's he doing it? God is using dreams and visions with Iranian Muslims to bring them to him, and he's built an infrastructure to support them after their conversion. Story after story is told of young and old who have seen Jesus in dreams and visions and renounced their faith to become Christians despite the danger of persecution, imprisonment, and possibly even death. Uh, Let me just share one story of this is a Hussein is his name. And um, let me just say that this story I might doubt um, in terms of the actual details, whether Hussein is real or whether this, because on the internet, right, who trusts the internet? (laughs) 
Good, good. You don't trust the internet, okay? Um, however, when you hear this story here, and you hear someone talk about it here, and you know someone who talks about it here, and you know this, and yet when you start hearing lots of things, not from the same source, okay? That's bad. But when you hear it from multiple different sources, and multiple different people, and, and multiple different avenues, I think the story is believable. And so... While this story itself, I, there's no way I can verify it, I do believe that these sorts of stories are taking place. Here's this, this man, I, Hussein. I don't have any reason to doubt this. I just doubt the internet, but I, I've seen enough that's good. Hussein came from a fanatically religious Muslim family in Iran. He zealously defended his religion and was highly intolerant of those who did not have similar beliefs. So radical was his thinking that when he learned that his brother-in-law, Muhammad, became a believer in Jesus... He set out to reconvert him or deal with the infidel. Muhammad would not renounce his faith in Jesus. So one dark night, Hussein stalked Muhammad and stabbed him in the back saying, I will not leave here until I have killed you as an apostate. Hussein was thwarted in his work by a passerby and Muhammad survived after a long convalescence. Obvious tensions continued for five years between Hussein and his brother-in-law who recovered from his vicious attack. But in June of 2017, the Lord worked in Hussein through a dream. In the dream, he was lying on the ground with many demonic monsters with terrible eyes torturing him. And one of the creatures grabbed his throat to strangle him. And Hussein began to call out all the names of all the prophets he could remember. But there was no answer until at the very last moment, when he was about to breathe his last, with difficulty, he said, Oh, Jesus Christ, if you exist, save me. Suddenly, he saw Christ appear. Jesus cast the demonic creature to one side and took Hussein by the hand and embraced him. Hussein then fell at the feet of Jesus and worshipped him. When Hussein awoke from the dream, he was very much afraid. But when he remembered that Jesus took him in his arms and embraced him, he became hopeful. He found comfort in the fact that after all his opposition to Christ and Christians, salvation was possible for him. And the next morning, Hussein made his way early to Muhammad's house where he embraced him and with many tears asked Muhammad for his forgiveness and in their presence, he gave his heart to Christ. How many of you heard stories like this from Iran? Yeah, Rachel, right? Um, good. Um, here's another one. All right, just to kind of give you the pattern, like this is uh, another man named Fadahi gives his, he says, shares what happens with someone he knows. He says, something is happening so often among Muslims is that people are coming to know Jesus through dreams and visions. And so he tells the story of a young mother at home watching her three-year-old daughter. The phone rings, the mother's distracted, and she's on the phone, and all of a sudden she hears a loud noise as though something heavy is dropping to the ground. Hanging up the phone, she runs into the kitchen and notices that her three-year-old daughter has dropped a large kettle of boiling water all over her head. The mother's terrified, in absolute fear and shock, cries out, saying to Jesus Christ, help me. And she doesn't know why she says that, but that comes to her in a moment of trauma. The mother cried this sentence and then grabbed the child in her arms, taking her to the hospital. The child's admitted in the middle of the night while mother and child are asleep, the mother has a dream. In the dream, she sees a male figure in the hospital room. She's dreaming of the hospital room she's in right now. And she sees this male figure standing by the daughter's bed and the figure dressed in white. He's radiant with light. So the mother can't really make out his face. The mother asks him, who brought you here? I I didn't ask anyone to come see my child. Did one of the nurses bring you here? Who are you? The man responds by saying, you called my name. And I'm here because you cried out to me in the kitchen. He tells her that he is Christ, revealing himself to her, and that he will be with the child and with the mother in this difficult time. 
And when the mother wakes up, she's enamored with Christ and decides to learn more about him, eventually giving her life to Christ, becoming a Christian, and later becomes part of a house church. And then this man comments, this is one of many stories, many, many, many stories of people seeing Christ in visions and dreams. This seems to be the way that God is choosing to reveal himself with people in that part of the world. And Iranians, when they come to faith, they are very eager to share the good news with others around them. And we could literally spend the rest of the day hearing similar stories over and over and over again. And uh, I just, I've come to believe that just the credibility of these flavors of stories, that God is working this way. In Iran, because right, there's, there's no access to the gospel, right? There's, there's no access at all to, to churches because of the intense persecution. It's not too difficult for God. God is getting around that. Many are coming to Christ in Iran as well. And so I just say that we ought to rejoice in the, the sovereign spirit, the open doors that God is giving. But realize God closes doors as well, and he opens doors. And these are for his great good and for our great good as well. Think about when God said, don't go to Asia, he said, don't go to Asia now. As we work our way through Acts, when we get to Acts chapter 19, we're going to see Paul eventually getting to Asia when he goes to Ephesus and stays there for three years, preaching the gospel many people believe. Just now is not the time. It was not now. It was later. And God would later bring the gospel to Bithynia. We don't know the circumstances behind that, but when Peter writes his first epistle, he says to the, to the scattered, to the chosen exiles, is what he says, in Asia, Cappadocia, and Bithynia. So they're, in other words, right, they're believers in Bithynia. Somehow the gospel got to them. It just wasn't that time for Paul to go to Bithynia at that moment because Macedonia was the way to go. And often that's what a closed door means. It means that something better is coming. And how many times have we been in life, had some kind of decision or place that we could have gone, and we're thankful that God closed the door because it meant us going some other place. We should be thankful for closed doors. As we sang today, God moves in a mysterious way. Behind a frowning providence, behind a closed door, he hides a smiling face. He hides an open door, something better. How often we say, I'm thankful I didn't get that job. I'm thankful I didn't marry that guy. I'm thankful that we didn't move. I'm thankful those closed doors because God has a plan for us. And God will open and close doors as we go. And really the best advice is what I start out with, right? The, the mind of a man plans a way, but the Lord will direct his steps. So let's plan a way. And let, let, let's just trust God to guide us in every way. And let's not kick back at all the closed doors, but realize closed doors means that he wants us to go down the hallway to the open door where God will thoroughly bless us. Father, I, I just thank you for your record of your church as it grows across Asia and Macedonia. We'll see it go into Achaia. And even by the end of, uh, of Romans, Paul saying, I have no more ministry in this place. I, I need to go to Spain to preach the gospel where Christ has never been preached before. What a privilege it is for us to see this inspired um, record of history that Luke has written for us that gives us much insight into you and to your workings. And just even as I sought to apply that to our lives, God, I pray that you would help us and convict us and show us. God, of those plans that we have that, that aren't your plans, that have been thwarted, may we rejoice in that, that you have thwarted us and you stopped us. 
And may we genuinely look for the, the ways in which you would have us to go. God, trusting that they are your plan. God, there, there's nothing outside of your plan. You accomplish anything you want. Psalm 115 says that our Lord is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. And so, God, be pleased to guide us and direct us in your way, in your time. And may we be willingly submitting to that. We thank you, O oh Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.